We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. This week's episode of The Corner is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. You know me and Andreas are always covering events. We're always writing articles. But when we do have time to sleep, we lay our head down on a nice, pillowy soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman. Everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store. None of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattresses is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen, you can get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner, promo code T H E C O R N E R. Terms and conditions apply. What up, everybody? Another episode of the Corner Podcast. It's been a week, it's been hectic. You know, old man Andreas has like 18 million jobs now. Shout out to him doing his thing this weekend. He's in LA. He's busy. He's running around. But I had to take the week off last week because I got a new gig moving from ABC to CBS here in Las Vegas. Follow me on social media. You guys kind of know all about that. So it's been crazy, but it's nice to be back since I'm not running around chasing down the old man this week. We'll let him breathe and relax and get his work done in LA. I decided to reach out to another person in LA 
someone I'm very familiar with, someone a lot of you guys already know, been wanting on the podcast again, this time for the whole show, the boss man, Robert Letal, Black Sports Online. Man, you're the sharpest man in media right now. It's good to have you on the show, boss man. It only took you guys, what, about 16 years to invite me on. I was thinking you guys didn't have any love for me. I was hurting. <laughs> There's always room for you on the corner podcast. Uh, man, it's, it's nice to have you. And you know, you, you throw out those fire takes every week on your own show, and people just been clamoring to hear it. They really want to hear you and Andreas go at it. I feel like I got cut out of the conversation. So you know what? We're, we're just going to give them a little taste of what you bring to the show, and then they're going to be like, okay, Kel, you take the next time off, and we want to, we want to see them go at it. But for right now, they got to settle with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, like old, old times, you know, me and you, Kel, we go way, we go way, way back. You was a young man, a, a young whippersnapper when, when, I, when I scooped you up back in the day. Look at you now, all grown with, with jobs, with benefits and stuff. I'm so proud. Thank you. Listen, it's it's a long way since you had to tell me not to wear my fitted at a UFC <laughs> media event and uh, that I looked crazy and I had to dress the part if I wanted to be the part. These are just little nuggets of wisdom that I've learned from this man. And back then I was like 23, 24 and I was looking at him side eyed like, listen, they have people wearing old school 1970s hats and cargo shorts. I can't wear my fitted with my blazer looking like Hove. And he was like, no, you dressed the part. So I had to, you know, I had to go get a clean haircut, make sure I had it. Then the eyes went, I had the goggles and, you know, the glasses are looking nice. Now I look sophisticated. Yeah, you got to dress, dress for the part that you want. And, uh, you know, not to go all Al Sharpton on you. You always got to remember you're black. In this society, so there, there's different rules, uh, you know, for us, and 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 they're not they're not fair rules. It's not a fair fight, you know. It's like going into a triple threat match with the, with two heels, and you're the face. You know, you got to figure out how to how to you know handle that. So every day in life, when you're black, it's like a triple threat. You know, you going up against the Bludgeon Brothers, and we're Daniel Bryan. You got to figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> got to make it work. Listen, there's there's other rules for a lot of people right now, it seems like. One person I want to start the show out with is Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo, QB, Andres' boy. He's the head, the figurehead of Andres' team, the San Francisco 49ers. He was catching so much heat for taking a porn star out on a date. We can't date porn stars no, no more. Like, isn't this America? What is wrong with people? Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those situations where I personally, and I think people that are normal, don't really care about this stuff. If that man wants to date a porn star, that's his business. But <laughs> alas, you have to understand, as I always used to tell you, Kel, you have to understand your standing in society when you make these decisions. You know, what someone could do, you know, if that was a rapper with a porn star, nobody would care because you expect that, you know, from rappers, even an entertainer. But unfortunately, if you're an NFL quarterback, you're held to a different standard. You know, you have to portray, you know, this lifestyle of being pretty much boring and, and not, you know, controversial. And I think Jimmy G just learned his first lesson on being a franchise quarterback is that, you know, you just can't just pop up with IG models and porn stars and girls on love and hip hop and Kardashians. You know, that's OK if you're Odell Beckham. <laughs> you know, but it, it doesn't work if you're the, the, the quarterback of the 49ers. I personally, 
you know, didn't have any problem with it. The way I look at it is like this. At least with a porn star, you know what you're dealing with right off the jump. You know, you can't get you can't get scammed and finessed by a porn star. I mean, it's right out there in front of you. You kind of know what's happening. You're not going to get caught up in Me Too with a porn star. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. You, you so know first, what you're getting into. Yeah, I thought it was smart. But obviously some people have talked to him and said, listen, man, you know, may, we may not care. But as I, I've always told you and I tell the writers and I tell young people in media, perception is 100% reality uh, in these streets in 2018. So that's a lesson that Jimmy G just had to learn. See, that's that's so dirty that he had to learn it that way because it, it, people kind of try to defend it like, okay, he's the quarterback, he's the franchise, you know, the face of that franchise. That's why he can't do so. Even though Tom Brady has a baby mama, left a baby mama while Ooh. pregnant for a supermodel, whatever, that's forgiven. He's the golden boy. But... They're trying to hold quarterbacks to a different standard when this is the first time I can really remember, especially recently, when maybe being a pretty white guy works against someone. Mm, because yeah. Cam Newton wiped the stripper. I oh, remember yeah. this. We, we, yeah. did this. we did the article on BSO. He wiped the stripper and said, so what? Did not care. Like, And he's a black quarterback. He's the face of that franchise. No one batting an eye. And she was fresh out the club. Yeah, that's when stereotypes work actually a little bit in favor of the black guy, which they normally don't. See, a black guy and a stripper, you know, that's a stereotype that <laughs> people, I mean, it's not a you know, great stereotype, but if you said, hey, uh, this black guy, this black quarterback, this black receiver, this black running back is dating a stripper, people wouldn't necessarily make that big a deal about it. White people are, or white quarterbacks are held to such this surreal and it's it's not even a, a, a real thing it's like but they're hold to like they're pristine you know they're so special you know they, they don't have any type of marks that when jimmy g did this everybody all the white people was like oh my gosh oh my gosh you know like their stereotype was broken like hey you know white guys like porn stars or strippers too just as much as any other guy yeah. so it, shout it, out it also, to gronk and manzel i thought they would learn that yeah, but see, the thing with Gronk, that's the crazy thing about Gronk, is Gronk can be seen with a stripper or a porn star, and it's Gronk being Gronk. You know, a Cam Newton or Odell Beckham or anybody else is seen with a porn star and a stripper, they're hurting the brand. Oh, they're hurting their image. And so, see, that's, 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 the, that's the bad part of the stereotypes. It's just white quarterbacks are just seen so differently um, and are held to such a standard that they're just perfect you know, like we forget that, you know, Ben Roethlisberger likely raped some women. But, you know, he's, he's a white quarterback, so we just kind of eh, throw that off to, to the side. And Jimmy G's learning that being a white quarterback, even though he's just living his life, comes with a higher uh, spotlight than, than some other positions. They put him right up on that pedestal. But yep. Jimmy G fell for what a lot of guys, and athletes particularly today, are falling for, which is the allure of the IG model. Mm. And listen, I'm talking to the connoisseur that the person who trademarked twaddles in like <laughs> 2011. People were taking yeah. it back. This was the OG BSO. This is what I was just following to follow. I remember being at 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City. And my boy Carrington was like, yo, you got to look at this outlet, this outlet, this outlet for our show. Oh, and by the way, check Black Sports Online every morning for our show. And this would be as a producer. And I was like, I got to check Black Sports Online with all these other ones? He's like, yeah, man, the content's crazy. 
<laughs> so I, I know how even national perception was swaggerjacking back then. So the Twaddles claim you have a firm grasp, professionally, of course, on this realm. And it's something now that we're seeing even bigger. We, on the show a couple weeks ago, we talked about Drake. And now it comes out that he knocks up an IG model mm-hmm. slash previous life porn star. And we see these girls being raised to these levels of, of prominence and being out in the forefront. It seems like everyone nowadays has themselves IG model. I just saw a basketball player. Oh, it was on BSO, coincidentally. Uh, didn't even wife up a chick who had Tupac tattooed on her arm. Right. Like, on the Mayweather, <laughs> yeah. Part of the Mayweather uh, girl collection. Oh, gosh. So they're everywhere. Mayweather is knocking up his girlfriends. Yes. The thing is, the the difference between, you know, when I was a young man and as I started to see in the early 2010s is access. The thing about social media is that it changed access. When when you were young or when an athlete and an entertainer were young, they were like to find a groupie in the 90s, the early 2000s. They would literally have to come to the show. They would literally have to come to the hotel. You know, they would literally have to you know be in the city that you were in. Right. That's why, you know, the, you hear these old stories about groupies traveling from city to city to see basketball <laughs> fans. You have to get in the car and use the gas. You have to, you know, to find you a, a, a good groupie. It was a lot of word of mouth back then. Once the 2010s came, now if you were a pretty girl in Ohio, you know, all you had to do was just a DM and a picture. And you'd have and, and just wait for the replies. And if you notice, a lot of times the IG models, they don't go for the top, top stars because those guys, they understand that they got a lot to lose. So you may you won't see a LeBron, you know, so much. And, uh, you know, he got caught a couple of times. <laughs> what they do is they go for the, 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 the backup tight end on the Cowboys. You know, they go for the sixth man on the, on the, on the Milwaukee Bucks. Those guys necessarily wouldn't have as much access as before. Now, those girls come in at the DMs, they get flown out, they try to get knocked up, they try to get wiped. If you, if, you, if you screw them over, you know what they do? They expose you, they put your nudes out there, so now you gotta pay them. Poor Snoop Dogg. So it, it, it's become a, it's weird, you know, it, it's become, uh, you know, when they talk about hacking and digital and, and messing up elections and stuff, it's the same thing with the IG models. It's all become a digital realm. That's crazy. I think the last time I remember in front of me seeing where it was like the olden ways was when Vegas hosted the All-Star game, NBA mm. All-Star game. And I feel like every groupie from the corners of the earth, like it was Lord of the Rings right before the final battle, just came and circled around Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And it was groupie fest like 2002 or something wild. And then after that, you started getting the MySpaces where you could be like, okay, and you kind of see like the chicks with the top eight and they showed their pictures off. And then, <laughs> you know, the black planets of the world, which, you know, I never stuck my toe in. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't old enough. I wasn't hot yet in the streets for the black planet. And then like, you know, all that stuff started to develop. And then with, Twitter and Instagram, which just hit another level, and Snapchat, which I don't even have a Snapchat, but it just seems like a bunch of trouble on there. So yeah. it, it's a wild world. And it's crazy that these athletes get caught up into it. Because what happened to the days where athletes were 
untouchable, right? Like, yeah. I understand that the girls are reachable and the girls are DM away. Or, you know, you can just like Instagram models, you know, photo and she knows it's going down if you're famous. But the guys used to be unattainable. Now it seems like Tristan's with Chloe and you could just hit up Tristan like, yo, what's up? What's going on? Thought Taraj in the building and he's a click away and he's running there, right? Like, how, how are the guys so accessible? That That's, you know, the thing of one of the things when I started in media, when I was in college, is it was very, it was small. And when I say small, what I mean is, unless you were like, you were a beat reporter, you were around the team all the time, like there was no way to communicate if I was in Columbus, Ohio, you know, doing Cavs or doing, you know, Ohio State. I couldn't, even if I wanted to do like the Steelers and Pittsburgh, I wouldn't know what was going on. There was no connection, you know, but now because of the way the phones are and the way media is, Everything is six degrees of separation. Like, I could get to LeBron, or at least somebody close to LeBron, in a couple of texts, maybe a DM, and a Snapchat. And I could get an answer from a high-level person. Like, you couldn't do that <laughs> 10, 15, 20 years ago. That's why there's so much information now. Like, before, and you know, I don't know if the, your, your young listeners know this, but they, have, they used to have something that, called newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> and in the newspapers they would have something called page six and that's where all your rumors was at now social media is a a worldwide page six everything that goes on if you go outside you know there's people outside looking for Ben Simmons and Kendall Jenner just walking out the door and as soon as they do it they sell it to TMZ they sell it to Daily Mail and now we got it like I don't even have to turn on my TV to know everything that's happening in the world of sports and sports entertainment. You know, Demi Lovato overdoses. We know every little thing that's happening from the jump. And then she has to put out a, a message on social media to try to clear it up. Like everything is, it's, it's the matrix. Everything is happening in real time. And if you blink, you'll miss something. You go outside, you miss something. <laughs> and now, that's what I'm saying. So the athletes themselves now have an outlet. If you wrote a bad story about an athlete 10 years ago, who are they going to tell? What are they going to say? They're just going to be upset in their living room. Right. Now, if you say something about Kevin Durant, he on Twitter. He on Instagram. So, you know, Boogie Cousins can go to Showtime and say, F everybody. <laughs> you know, everybody has an outlet now to express themselves, and we're, like, overloaded with information. And they're using it for the bad. <laughs> That's it. it could be used for the good, but it could be used for the bad. They need to stay on the good side of the force. Uh, someone using those outlets this week in particular, 50 Cent. Mm. Now, I, I understand 50 ain't got nothing else to do right now. He wasn't, you know, in a public eye. He tried the boxing thing, promoting, and, and that didn't work out too well. And then now he's like, what's next? And Floyd got some time on his hands. Floyd's a happily retired man. Came out in Forbes, the number one athlete in the world in terms of pay Floyd got Floyd got money and time so 50's like you know what let me see what my old pal is up to and instead of just hitting him up you know wanted to get serenaded on a piano in, in Floyd's crib like the good old days instead he decided to start Instagram beef with Floyd Mayweather and now it's going from something that was like okay well you know maybe they're joking maybe this is like a Lakers situation where the youngsters just get on you know throw out a diss track or something and it's funny 
to, oh, it's real. And now families are involved, kids are involved. How does this escalate to that level? And why? Like, is, is there an end game? Is this actually good for business now? Quote, unquote, well, beef. Well, what, what have I always told you? Never beef with someone that has nothing to lose, right? Yeah. And, and, and so with Floyd, he needs to he needed to be smart enough to know that when 50 Cent does the, did the little jabs, because that's what they were. They were little jabs. Wasn't big jabs. They were little jabs. It's their little jabs to get you to react. And when you feel in some type of way, or maybe the jab hit a little bit too close to home, connected a little bit more, what do you do? You overreact. And then that's what Mayweather did. He overreacted. He wrote that long thing about 50 Cent, which was probably true. But <laughs> 50 Cent has nothing to lose. So he, that's what he wanted. He wanted Floyd to do that because here's the thing about fighting back, what I always say. And this is how people get in trouble with their old tweets and stuff like that is when you throw your punch back at somebody jabbing at you, you better make sure your defense is really, you know, tight for the counter. Because if you, if it's not, the people that don't got nothing to lose, they're just going to keep throwing punches. And Floyd, <laughs> we all know, has not led, led to clean his life. You know what I'm saying? So he has skeletons. And he's the type, and 56 is not the type to say, you know something, we was boys. I'm not going to put this out there. He's like, push your teeth. I'm gonna. I, I, I said the beef was like, 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 like Drake and Pusha T. Drake had better a better song and had better points in my opinion. But Pusha T was like, you know something? I'm gonna win this beef by any means necessary. Even if my song's not good, I'm gonna talk about your baby that nobody got. See, that's how Fifty Cent is. Like what Fifty Cent is saying is not new information. Like we've all known. Like it's one of those things that are out there, but. To put like personal put about your son and you know your boy shooting himself and his wife and all of this. I mean, you're going deep to win a battle. But for 50 Cent, that's his career now. It's not rap. 50 Cent career is Canaan and beef. <laughs> so you're fighting with someone that they their whole career is based off beef, you're gonna lose, you know, by default. And it's too late now for Mayweather to take it back because it, it's on. So it, it, it's not it's not good because two black men beefing that, that have that much money, they look like clowns to the society. And it's what's expected. And it perpetuates a stereotype. So it's not it's not good for them. It's not good for black people in general. Now, is it good for business? Well, 56. And, and if you figure Mayweather needs to stay in the spotlight, you know, yes, it's good for us in media. Yes. But it's something that I could deal without. Yeah, it seems like, one, I don't know how to monetize this. Like, I don't know how it makes 50 Cent money. I'm sure Mayweather doesn't need more money. So I'm not sure where this helps either in that realm. Um, Unless, you know, maybe if they had two boxers still. Like, I don't even know if 50 has boxers still. But if he did and he wanted to promote his boxer against Floyd's boxer and, you know, he was just feeding someone for Javante Davis to knock out. And those two had a world war worlds, you know, like at the press conference or something that'd be, you know, monetized. It makes sense. This makes no sense. If you're not making money, you're just wasting time. And that's something Floyd's always thought. So I'm not sure how he can monetize this unless, you know, he's looking for a celebrity fight. And he tells 50, yo, let's go. Let's box or something. 
and he just not, wants to knock 50 out in like three rounds. I mean, not, people may pay to see that. I mean, people not, paid not, a lot of money to see Conor McGregor. I think Mayweather just got emotional. I think, you know, the, the first jab that 50 Cent hit him with about Bad Medina leaving, women leaving, taking all of his money, because if I'm not mistaken, uh, Mayweather, you know, fronted the money for her makeup line or her beauty salon or one of those things. Yeah. And I think, I think some of that may have hit home. And that's why he reacted. You know, that's why I would say people, when you react, even if you're justified in your reaction, there's something that is making you react. There's some, maybe some truth to it or some annoyance, you know, to it. And I think you got the baby on the way, got, you know, all these other girls that they really want them for him or do they just want them for his money. He's not boxing anymore. So while, yeah, he's still getting attention, it's not the same attention as, that you can get you know, traveling all over the world and doing all that he does and everything, that's great. But it, it nothing, and athletes, all athletes will tell you this, nothing is the same as being in the ring, being on the court, hearing that adulations from fans. And I just think they both are a little bit bored and don't have anything to do and, and just their way to try to stay in the spotlight. That's a shame. Floyd, listen, if he needs that much, go back to boxing. There is one Manny Pacquiao mm. open to fighting. Listen, you're going to fight here in the U.S., secure the bag in, in Dubai. People will watch. Manny, you know, they say Manny can't come back due to the tax man. <laughs> so we may never see Manny in the U.S. again. But I feel like, okay, it's not going to be the blockbuster. But you can run off with a smooth 100 mil for fighting Manny Pacquiao today. It'd be a clown show. But it's a clown show people would watch. Yeah, you go overseas and do it. You know, that's what a lot of old fighters do. Go overseas. Make your hundred mil or whatever, you know, it won't be the same as if you did it in the States, but obviously you can go to England or some place that, you know, Manny feels comfortable with going and make a lot. I, I wouldn't be shocked. Listen, go to the Philippines and fight. Have a thriller in Manila style fight. Take it to his backyard. Itself. Yeah, I think I I I'll go back and forth on if Mayweather uh is gonna fight again. Um I, but I think if he does fight, like you said, it's gonna be uh spectacle fight, you know, because he's not dumb enough to get in the ring with these young kids uh, now. Not young, but you know, they're in their prime now. So, it's, with Mayweather, it's always about attention. And, you know, uh, Steven Jackson was like, hey, both of these guys are really insecure no matter how much money uh, they got. And I think that is true to an extent, that the money sometimes is to try to make you feel happier about yourself. Uh, but as we've all learned, once we got even a little money, not even Mayweather money, just a little money, that that's that it helps with a lot of stuff. But if you're if you're unhappy or you're not loved the way you like sincerely, it, it, it's really not going to make you happy overall. Yeah, that that's true. Talking about like the younger guys though, because you know Floyd, he's not dumb enough to fight one of these uh, younger stars on the rise. But there is one fighting this weekend, Mikey Garcia. Mm -hmm. Fighting in L.A. Um, you know, a nice little bit of interest around it. This could be his last fight um, before jumping up to 147. Everyone expects him to win this one. It should be, you know, a, a showcase fight for Garcia. At 147, stuff gets a little crazier. This whole week, he's been calling out Errol Spence Jr. Talking about a possible future fight between those two. Which is great, because Mikey's a free agent. He can fight whoever he wants. Um, kind of on that same Miguel Cotto range. Right, where you can see him, you know, against the Floyd, and then two months later against the Pacquiao, whatever. So Mikey's in that good position to make some money. 
where does he stand amongst the other 147 pounders? Because we, we see a lot of guys, you know, crowding this area. Terrence Crawford, people believe, could be the best. Errol Spence could be the best. Um, you still have Keith one-time Thurman out there. We're going to get a fight between Danny Garcia and um, Sean Porter coming up soon. 147 is stacked. Amir Khan might go back to 147. Uh, the name no one mentions. Pacquiao is still there. If you had to put three right now, and we'll throw Mikey Garcia in there, three elite 147-pounders, how do you rank them out? Well, I think you, you would rank uh, at 147. 47. I think you would rank Earl Spence first, only because he's been there for a while. Uh, I put Bud Crawford right under that only because he hasn't been there for a while, but... Uh, I think Bud, had, you know, has been moving up to that. Obviously, I think those are the, the main two. Uh, after that, it's kind of a crapshoot because, like you said, you got Thurman that hasn't fought in a while. You got Porter. You got Garcia. You got Khan. Uh, you got Garcia uh, or Mikey that, you know, he hasn't fought there. So it's hard to gauge exactly what it is. I think I think Mikey Garcia, in, in my opinion, should go try to fight Lomachenko, uh, someone that he could possibly be bigger than. And, you know, still have, you know, put put that type of signature win before going up. I think he would be biting off more than he could chew, um, you know, going from 135, 140, and then all, you know, 147. That's a big uh, jump. We've seen it happen before. I mean, Shane Mosley uh, actually made that jump, just kind of skipped over uh, a, a division. But I like to see how he fights against Robert Easter, uh, the fight that's coming up this weekend. Because, I mean, Easter did not look great in his last fight, uh, but he's a legit guy. And, you know, Mikey, you know, even though he's, he's when he's moved up in weight, you know, the knockouts haven't quite, you know, been there. Yeah, you know, Broner's a hard guy to knock out and then some others. Uh, but you haven't really, you've seen the skill, but you necessarily haven't seen the power. So at, at this point, I say it's still an, an unknown, but he's a name. And like you said, the most important thing is he's a free agent. So he can maneuver where some of these other fighters, because they're with Al Heyman, because they're with top rank, because they're with Golden Boy Kent, uh, he has the ability to kind of jump uh, from, you know, different promotions, uh, whichever be uh, benefits him financially. Yeah, and we, we see that with a lot of people. Like, the, the power doesn't translate as you go up. Um, really, I mean, who has it translate? Pacquiao? where he really didn't lose power as he jumped up. But even at 147, Pacquiao was more of a, a barrage fighter. Like the ref would step in and save people because they're just taking a beating. But the one-shot knockout power wasn't really there. Floyd never really had it when he moved up. Um, Mosley, I, I don't remember him just KOing people flat. He did. When he, when he yeah. moved up. It, it was like a barrage of punches, death by a thousand cuts. And, yeah, and the ref will feel sorry for it. Yeah, the last Pacquiao, what I would say, like you just said, would have been against uh, Ricky Hatton. And, and that, that was Ricky Hatton coming up, uh, you know, in weight uh, for that. So that's a small guy as well. Like, the thing about moving up in weight is, I think that was, that's beneficial for Mikey Garcia, is if you move up in weight, you have to have, in my opinion, you know, elite boxing skills. Because smaller guys can beat punchers if they could just, you know, outbox them. Obviously, that's how... And Mayweather and, and Mosley and Oscar De La Hoya and others who've moved up, uh, you know, how they've done. Even, you know, going even when Bernard Hopkins decided to move up, uh, the reason he was able to hang was because of the uh, the boxing skills. So I think that bodes well. It obviously, it bodes well for Bud Crawford. It bodes well for Mikey Garcia. It bodes well for 
Earl Smith if he ever decides to go to like 154 or beyond. So, but the power, uh, and also when you fight elite, the elite guys, they're just harder to knock out because they're elite. That, that's the reason. <laughs> I mean, you see, as Triple G, as he started to get better competition, uh, be it Jacobs, be it Canelo, those, you know, just knockouts where he just ran through guys uh, stopped happening. That knockout streak was over because these are top-of-the-line elite guys, big chins, big power, know what they're doing in the ring, have the heart. That's why they're at that level. So even if you got power, as you go to the elite level, uh, I, I think your knockouts and everything goes down. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, you shouldn't fall off a cliff like a la Keith Thurman. Right. So Thurman seems to have lost something. I, not, I feel like he got dropped once with that body blow mm -hmm. and never really recovered mentally. I, you know, a lot of people think that Thurman has checked out, like you said. I, yeah, he did have some legit injuries, but they're the type of injuries that if you really want to fight, uh, you maybe rehab a little bit harder, maybe get yourself ready to go a little bit. Um, you know, at some point, I always say, you know, boxing and UFC and MMA, uh, getting hit in the face is not a, you know, the most wisest career. And some guys start to check out and, and, or the money gets nice. They got enough money where they can live comfortably and they start to check out. So I'm very curious to see, uh, if Keith, when Keith Thurman comes back, I don't think he'd come back against a, a tough opponent, but once he gets back in there with a tough opponent, opponent, uh, what happens? I actually consider wonder that about Conor McGregor um, as well. I mean, you get a hundred million dollars, you know, it's hard to train the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a completely different world. But again, and we'll talk about Conor now, like because that was the next thing to talk about anyway. I, I think much like Canelo when he fought Floyd, when you fight someone like that, and you you understand, and you go through the press tour, and you see the work ethic, and whether you ask them this, because I, I refuse to believe, you know, Conor McGregor and Floyd were at odds. I've seen them interact. Mm. We talked about that. We, the writing was on the wall for years that these two would do business in some way. It just so happened that they fought each other. To me, you sell the fight, but listen, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. That fight was done. They went in the back. They shook hands. They hugged. They had a shot of whiskey. Conor did. Floyd doesn't drink. But you understand, like, you know, I, I think it was a work completely so I, i'm sure connor along the process got in the what still motivates you right because nothing should have motivated floyd for that fight later on in his career nothing should have motivated him for what a birdo fight but how do you train how do you make sure you're still sharp even after the big pacquiao payday after all the money the the first showtime contract that you signed which people thought was insane for someone in that weight class how do you motivate yourself? And Floyd is the master at doing that because he understands there's always more money to be had. He never had to fight until 39-40, but he did because there was always a bigger payday and he saw two, three years down the road. And I think Connor, when people are like, should he come back? Like, he doesn't have to come back. He made more money than people thought imaginable in mixed martial arts. According to Forbes, he made $100 million last year. The year before, he made $35 million. So this $135 million in two years. And yes, he blows money fast, but not that fast. There has to be some type of exchange rate in Ireland. Like, yeah. he, he's doing all right. Like, he doesn't live in Beverly Hills. He's okay. So 
with that being said, like, why fight again? Because there's more money on the table. And Floyd realized you have to be good to keep those opportunities for more money. So your training cannot lack. And I've seen Connor and he's posted pictures and by all accords, everyone goes high. Like, he still trained over this past year. He had no fight. He had no intentions of fighting. But he still trained. He kept his body in shape. Mayweather went through long lapses of fighting. Even without the jail stint. Sometimes Mayweather take nine months off. Skip a year. Come back September to September. Or usually May to May. Like Mayweather, but he always stayed in shape. He was always ready. And I think Connor is smart with that. In which, especially in a sport that's kind of a little bit more dangerous than boxing. As far as getting knocked out smooth. Is you don't have to fight three times a year anymore. You just have to fight every now and then. So if you fight once a year, a year and a half, you build up this anticipation. And if every time you fight, it's $40 million, you know what? You don't get knocked out. It's three fights in a row. You'll take it. You elongated it four more fights and cashed it on another $100 million. You give the UFC time. If they develop another megastar, you can cash that fight and cash out. So there's no, I guess there's no weak point to taking your time and being selective in fights. The fans say they hate that. But Pacquiao versus Floyd proved you'll wait six years mm-hmm. and still still pay for something. So there is no rush for these fighters. And Conor McGregor, I think, he learned a lot. As much as Canelo learned from fighting Floyd in the ring, and we've seen a different Canelo Alvarez after that, I think Conor learned just as much as from Floyd, the businessman, outside of the ring. And now he's dictating terms in all aspects of life. Absolutely. And I think Con- I always thought the motivation for Floyd, and it's, it's kind of backwards, is that because of Floyd's insecurities, he the thought of a loss, any loss, just kind of drives him crazy. Like, because the, the whole mystique behind the money team and Floyd Mayweather is that he couldn't be beat. Mm-hmm. Some fighters, you know, they can lose and end up being better off, you know, for it. Uh, I don't think that would have worked with his style. So that was, I think, where the motivation came from. But I absolutely agree with you that I think McGregor, being in the UFC, seeing how Dana White handles the money, and then seeing what someone like Mayweather can make and boxers can make, has definitely took that from him. And my question is this. I think McGregor makes the type of fights that he can lose and it won't really affect him, you know, that much. Now, you can't Mm -hmm. lose, like, two or three, like what happened to Ronda Rousey, where she just kept getting knocked out. And it's like, okay, the, the thrill is gone. But McGregor seems like the type that you can make an exciting fight, lose, get a rematch, make some more money and everything. It's just, does he does he have the desire just to, to, to do it? Uh, when these guys, obviously every guy in the UFC that wants to fight Conor McGregor, they say they, they, they don't like him. That's not it. They just want the money. Yeah, They know that if you, you fight a McGregor, you get more money, more pay-per-view, more attention, more TMZ. You're getting everything more. That's it's insane. red panty night. Every time you sign on a dotted line to fight McGregor. And that's why home. all the people, that's why people still call, that's why boxers, young boxers today, Mayweather's been retired almost two years now, will still in the fight and say, hey, or, or even Pac- and Pacquiao too. Pacquiao say, Mayweather want to fight. Young fighters say, Mayweather want to fight. Or do you want, now they want to fight Pacquiao because they know that his check. So 
if it, it's just a matter of Connor where he's at mentally. You know, he got family now, got a, got kids, got another kid on the way. Um, I'm going to watch because he's still the most interesting person in UFC. And, you know, besides, you know, someone like Brock Lesnar, and that doesn't even count in, in my mind. So I'm down for it. I'm curious to see what happens when he gets in there. Yeah, I don't think McGregor is in it anymore for the long haul, right? He's not going to be uh, one of these guys like Frankie Edgar in the lighter divisions or BJ Penn and, you know, fighting for 38, 39, so on and so forth, or, you know, a 15-year career in the UFC. No, he's done all of this. He made all this money in three years. Yep. 2015, he was dead broke. And I remember the quote, first quote I got from him when I was covering the fight. Um, he fought here in Vegas. I think it was him versus Poirier. It's right when he took off um, after that Ireland main event show and then the Vegas fight here. And during our one-on-one interview at Media Day, he was like, I spend all of the money I make between fights. He said, I spend it all. I don't save anything. Because that way, I'm hungry for the next fight. Mm. And it was mind-boggling. And he was like, I understand sooner or later, I won't be able to do that. And he's like, and my girlfriend hates it. But this is what keeps me hungry. And he was purposely wanting to stay broke. And then he got into the realm of, okay, I'm going to chase titles. And it didn't matter about the money and all this stuff. And he lived a lavish life. But he never lost sight of him wanting to be a champion. He wanted to be a two-division champion. Something he accomplished in the UK that he felt he could accomplish here. Um, and it was funny. I was here with my pops the other day and I showed him the Conor McGregor documentary at the end of it. I asked him the question. I was like, now that you beat Nate Diaz in a rematch, do you still want to be a two-division champ? And they used that clip for the movie. Mm-hmm. And then he answered. He's like, yes. And then they show him training for the, um, for the title fight. So he has these, these little goals. And I think that's, that's a key of greatness. Because sooner or later, you reach the pinnacle, and then you're like, what am I supposed to do? The guy's 29, just turned 30, I believe. Like, he has a long time. In MMA years, you shouldn't be good till 32. It's so hard to master all these aspects of fighting that people become champions 32, 33. As long as you're not John Jones, like everyone else, it kind of takes a while. Like, for you to become a champion, to learn all these other disciplines, eight years in the game, seven years in the game. Uh, Daniel Cormier, 39, about to be 40. Just became a, a double champ. And he couldn't beat John Jones. Like it, it takes all of these years and and technique and all this stuff to be great. And Connor did it so early that now you have to have these little goals. So now what's his goals? To partner with the UFC, to come back, make every fight of his 50 million. Does he want to make his brand big enough that he can split off from the UFC? Like now he only he knows, but he's always in all his press conferences. He's never lied to people. That's my case with him. He's never lied. You think whatever you want about how he says it, what he says, he's never lied. Anything he said in a press conference in front of Dana White's face, in private, any interview, he says it, he does it. Regardless of how he gets it done, he makes it happen. And the only thing that hasn't come true is he wants to be a partner with the UFC. He wants McGregor promotions. He wants that name on the marquee. He wants to do fighting. He wants to be in the fighting game for a long time. And this is something he's never he's never shunned away for. So when people are like, what is he going to do? Will he ever fight again? He loves fighting. His biggest goal was to be in the fighting game. If it was all over and he wouldn't be in the octagon, he wants to be De La Hoya. Like he wants to be around fighting forever, it seems like. Right now, it's not time to walk away. It's time to get more fights and cash out. 
And I think that's something, I think the marketing aspect he, he's learned from Mayweather. Because if, you're, if you become bigger uh, than the sport itself, then you can branch that out to your own brand. And he definitely has, you know, his own brand. Uh, you just have to stay enough in the spotlight. And it's funny, it's interesting to me that in fighting sports, uh, you know, criminal activity is actually beneficial. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, it helps it, a lot. I mean, yeah. throwing a dolly through a through a bus window helped him a ton. And only today, the decision came out. Only thing yeah. that cost him was uh, five community service hours. Yeah, I mean, if an NFL player threw a dolly on a bus, that may end his career. Same thing with a basketball player or a baseball player. Uh, you know, boxer or UFC guy, that actually enhances his legend. Uh, it's, 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 inter- it's always been interesting to me about that, is that, you know, fighting sports... Like any athlete should really study their sports from a marketing standpoint to see what's been successful for people before them. Because what you can do in the NBA, you can't do in the NFL. You can't do in MLB or NHL or boxing or tennis or soccer. You got to look at your specific sport. And I think he's figured out, you know, what works for him. And, you know, an occasional crazy outburst is actually beneficial. You get a slap on the wrist. You do some community service. Literally nothing happened. You know, to him, it's not a felony. It's a misdemeanor. So it's not like it's on his record. And I mean, it's it's in the end, I think it worked out for him. It worked out better. And it, what it did was, and the thing he was missing outside of Nate Diaz, because we saw that and the trilogy fight was the only money fight for him. But that held no stakes, right? Like becoming a champion again and your belt, that holds stake, even still in the UFC. Him with a belt makes Conor McGregor a, a bigger thing. And how do you now create this title fight into a money fight? Because Eddie Alvarez fight wasn't a money fight. Eddie Alvarez added nothing to Conor McGregor. Right. Except that he could become a double champ and make more money. The belt was bigger than Eddie Alvarez. So Conor McGregor focused on and built up the second belt, a feat no one had accomplished at that time. And he built the narrative around that. Now it's, okay, does he really want to parlay? Like, I'm coming back to get my belt is that the narrative that's going to sell and the difference between 1.5 million pay-per-views and two? No, that wasn't going to drive enough. But what he did was he created that foil. He created the, okay, I need the, the Batman to my Joker. So Khabib is undefeated. Khabib's an amazing fighter. For a long time, up until probably a week ago, I always thought Khabib would be the guy to beat Conor McGregor. The Styles is, matchup is horrible for McGregor. And Khabib, no one's been able to solve his wrestling puzzle ever. He's probably the best wrestler outside of Daniel Cormier in the UFC. So it was like, man, it's a horrible stylistic matchup for McGregor. You know, McGregor will probably lose. How do you make it worth it? And him throwing the dolly through that bus made it worth it. Because it made Khabib somebody. Khabib is now the guy Conor McGregor threw a dolly at. (laughs) Which is great. Because now people are like, oh, really? Oh no, he needs to beat Connor's ass. Cause oh, Connor, Connor was aiming at him, and Khabib can talk. Like he, Khabib has that that not Bond villain vibe to him, but like that that Russian mobster vibe that people actually kind of like. So he he's the no nonsense. Like today, the only thing he said when Connor won the case was "send me location." It's like that Triple G style, like that people kind of gravitate towards. Like, semi-location. Like, he'll fight you on the back alley. Khabib is about that life. So, I and I think he has enough to build and package that. But Conor McGregor, 
steal a wrestling turn, had to give him the rub. He had to make him feel like he was worthy of the attention. And that's what the Dolly throw did. So now, now Khabib, in the mind of when they start packaging this for casual fans, is on the level of, of Conor McGregor. Like you said earlier, Mayweather showed attention to 50 Cent. Mm-hmm. And just that attention makes people feel bigger. Drake showed attention to Pusha T. If he would ignore that diss like every other diss in his six-year history, 10-year history, that Pusha T diss would have run under the radar. The fact sure. that he responded is what made Pusha T an actual adversary. Right. So Connor did the same thing for Khabib. So when they package it, now you get to see the cool shit about Khabib. Now you get to see him wrestling and just pummeling guys and talking trash in the middle of beating them up in the octagon. Talking to Dana White in between rounds like, you know, that's my belt. Stop playing. This is my title. I need title fight. Hold on one second. Goes out there, whoops him again for five minutes. Come back. Dana, you happy? Want me to do it again? Like, that is what Khabib does. That's incredible. That's something people will latch on to. And now they'll get to see this because Conor McGregor gave him that platform. So he just made himself five, five, I'd say he took this from like a 1.6 million pay-per-view buys to two, 2.1. Biggest pay-per-view in UFC history by throwing a dolly and getting a misdemeanor. Yeah, so it's, 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 that's the funny thing about it. So that's why, first of all, that's why I never listened to Dana White because Dana White <laughs> does lie a lot. Uh, so when he was talking about all oh, the lawsuits, that now I think in the back of his mind, well, you know, he didn't want anybody to get hurt, obviously. He's thinking to himself, "Yep, at some point, Conor's going to come back, and because of this, is even going to be even bigger." And then, you know, it's in, in that regard, uh, fighting sports aren't that much different than WWE. It's you know, it's how can you hype this up uh, to make people you know, want to watch. And, uh, you know, the UFC pay-per-view numbers have been, you know, down. Now, they've gotten ESPN money and some some other things, but the core pay-per-view has been down. And, and they need Conor. Uh, and and he, I think he knows that. And so I think the leverage is definitely in his corner. Yeah, he's, he's definitely kind of molding that into more and more money on his end. And we'll see how that rubs the other UFC fighters. Because, you know, when the top guy is making $40 million to fight and the second guy is making one5 Shit's mm-hmm. going to get a little rough. I, I'm being <laughs> generous with 1.5. And you can hear it already. You heard it when, um, you know, with Brock Lesnar. Like, yeah. hey, this guy is still, you know, took, you know, pants before, still under the drug policy, can walk into a ring against a guy, you know, you know, and this is not against Cormier. Hey, get, I know he wants to get paid. But if I'm the guy that's the third rank or the second rank or the fourth rank and I've been you know, fighting for short money for years to try to make my way up, and this guy could just walk in out of the blue and get a title shot. That, that would piss me off, too. Yeah, Stipe's pissed. Stipe is like, listen, I had the most title defenses in UFC history. I didn't lost in five years, or heavyweight history, and I didn't lost in five years. Why don't I get an immediate rematch? Right. Uh, the number yeah. two contender, Curtis Blades, is like, I've been busting my ass, beating all these top knockout guys. I'm a wrestler. I can handle Cormier as a wrestler. Why am I not getting my shot? They're like, nope, Brock Lesnar, who hasn't won a fight officially on the books because his last one was negated due to the PEDs since 2012, is getting a title shot. Yeah. And there's no way to explain it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cold game. And I, like I said, you know, people always say sports, I get this a lot. Sports, that's not like a regular job. That's not like a real job. No, sports is a microcosm of how your life is going to go. 
in the sense that uh, it's cutthroat, uh, <laughs> business over loyalty. Uh, people will do whatever they need to do to get ahead, even if, you know if that means stomping on you. So you better pay attention to how sports work because hey, it may you know you may work at McDonald's, but there may be a reason somebody that just got there got to the fries before you did. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you gotta, gotta understand how life works. Listen, connections, everything. Yeah. Like sometimes you be the most qualified. Yeah. Go to school all your life, get a master's, all this stuff, and guess what? Little brother, twenty years old, whose daddy owns the company, is jumping you, and he's VP before you. So I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's life is um, is interesting, and and I always, you know, I know when you met me, I, you know, a lot of times when people first meet me, uh, especially if they just saw me on social media, they wonder if I, you know, kind of talk the same because some people on social media are totally different than they are in person. But I really do speak in these analogies in regards to sports or comics or entertainment as a way to simplify things when you're talking about life because they really are it's at a high level but it's it's the same you know thing you can you can learn stuff from watching mcgregor from watching floyd you can learn stuff from the bad stuff that has mm -hmm. happened you know with john jones or how cormier is not quite where he needs to be you know as far as what he maybe should be like you can ronda you can learn from all of these guys you can learn how the nfl is handling you know the 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 the, the police brutality and the racism as opposed to the nba or how they handle social media uh, as opposed to MLB. You can learn and then you can apply those things, you know, to your actual life. Yeah, it, it's crazy because, like you said, like when, man, when, I guess when I started and I started at BSO, it was okay. And I remember our biggest, I, I don't know, I, I don't want to say it's like our biggest hurdle, but one thing you always put like in front of me was social media is real life. And right. how you act on social media and what you use your social media for in the long run will define your career. And you just can't be a weirdo on so like you can't comment on this, you can't say these things, you can't retweet this, you can't do that. And it took me about a year, a year and a half, and I'm like, okay, I got it. That was one of the quickest lessons I've learned, I guess. But um, like it's true, and we've seen other people, and you've lent the same, I guess, the same information to other people. You told them the same things, and they didn't take heed to it. They didn't listen, and they're not around now. Right. So it's so true, yeah. the perception and what you put out there and and how you promote yourself. Everything is funny. The rest of rap crew that we got, and you know, they're on Twitter and all this stuff. We're always going back and forth. They, they say it all the time. Everything is pro wrestling, yeah. especially on social media. You can make yourself a heel. You can make yourself a baby face. Every now, like, just depending on how you answer things. Your, yeah. your brand is right there in front of you, and you have full control over it. And that, you know, people, it's funny. Somebody asked me uh, the other day, uh, because we did that story on the Ravens reporter uh, who had the, the uh, you know, the N-word the, the tweets and the, the homophobic tweets and everything. And somebody asked me off the record. They, they hit me up in the DM. It's like, man, you got a lot of tweets, you know, because, you know, been off 10 years. You got 500,000 tweets. And like, hey, you know, do you ever worry that, you know, you, you know, what you, you know, somebody goes back and look at your own, you know, tweets and mm -hmm. find something crazy. And I'm like, no. I said, because from jump, the one thing I knew is that if I wanted a career in this business, there are just certain things that I could, I never was, I, I was never wilding out on the BSO Twitter. 
because it always had the name, you know, of the brand. Now, I told him, I said, now, I had a personal Twitter back. I still got it. I, you know, I still carry the name. I said, I had a personal Twitter back in the day. I was wilding out on it, you know, because I figured out that was my name. That was my personal Twitter. I could say it. But I said about, I don't know, maybe five years in, when I really started to get noticed, I was like, you know something? You know, when I was wilding out on this personal account, it's probably not a good idea to still have, you know, the <laughs> out there. So I wiped, I wiped the entire thing, all like all the tweets. I wiped the entire thing from the personal account because I knew at some point that, you know, that may come back to haunt me because I was becoming popular. And it, 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 it doesn't matter where it comes from is that people are always going to look. And it, you got to like I tell you a quick story and I hope she doesn't mind me telling this story. Uh, and I, I told it to some other I told it to some other of my reporters because I was trying to illustrate what I meant by it. But for those that don't know, we have a very great reporter named Erica Fernandez. Uh, been with us for years, covered the Knicks, the Nets, the Giants, uh, MMA, uh, boxing, all types of stuff. She's great, right? Well, she got engaged. Congratulations to her. And she rarely puts a personal stuff on her timeline. But, you know, you get engaged. I mean, how many times? Hopefully, you only get engaged once, right? Twice so, for some of us. I mean, but, yeah, you know, right. semantics. Right. right. <laughs> so she puts it out there. You know, it was very... It was beautiful the way that, you know, it was a surprise birthday party. She was surprised. You know, the ring was inside a baseball. She's a big baseball fan. All mushy and beautiful stuff. Great stuff. Loving stuff. Stuff that I'm like, okay, if you want to put something on the timeline that's positive, put that on the timeline, right? So she puts that on the timeline. She, and, I, you know, I congratulate her and I hit her up because I didn't want to bother her while I was happy. And I'm sure she was all emotional. And a couple of days later, she says, I got an email, Rob. And I say, yeah, email. Where do you get an email from? It's like, I got an email from the guy that handles the credentials uh, for the New York Knicks. I was like, what did the email say? I thought it was something bad. And he was like, oh, he sent me an email to say, I saw that you got, you know, engaged. And I saw the, the video. And I just wanted to say congratulations. And I told her, I said, he didn't just see the video randomly. He monitors all of the, the Knicks reporters' social media feeds. That's how he knew what you were doing. That's mm -hmm. how you what was up. So on the flip side of that, let's assume you just went crazy one day and was inward this and blah 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 that and fighting and doing all this stuff. What do you think is gonna happen the next season when we try to get those credentials? So say, hey, this person is not about their business. This person is not about the Knicks. This person is not about being a beat reporter. They're about you know this, and that yeah. could hurt their potential. And so something small. But you really literally never know who's right. I told, I told this a long time ago, and I end with this, is that one time I was out somewhere. I forgot where I was at. Maybe I was in Vegas or something, and I ran into some guy, and the guy literally was the, the head guy at Yahoo Sports. Whatever the top guy in the world of Yahoo Sports, he was like the, the super director, president, or whatever. Came up to me, said, hey, you know, I like your stuff, blah, blah, blah. And everything. And he's like, uh, you know, I saw it on some stuff on Twitter. It was great. Blah, blah, blah. Gave me his card. His card had his Twitter account name on it. I went to his Twitter account. You know how many followers he had? 300. <laughs> had, had, nothing about, had nothing about Yahoo on his profile. Just, hey, this is my, had a, his face, his name, and I think he was tweeting a lot about his son's baseball team, stuff like that. 300 followers, no idea, no way you would have known from looking at it who he was. This is the director of Yahoo Sports. You never know who's watching. So that, that's really a lesson I try to tell all young people when they get on social media. You just never know. Yeah, and you, it, it's crazy because 
we don't know. And it's great to, to once again, represent yourself well on social media, to make these relationships and these connections. Because everything we do, we're an extension of their brand as well. When they allow us to cover something, we're an extension of their brand. We're you know lucky enough to bring that information to the masses. So we can't wild out because we're a bad extension on them and their judgment of character. But it's great to see like when I just announced that I was leaving um, Channel 13 ABC here in Las Vegas and posted my new gig and it had the Next Star logo and everything. I was like, yeah, I'm going to Channel 8, whatever. But people were hitting me up like, oh, you're leaving Channel 13? What happened? Are you okay? Did they treat you well? Are you all right? Why'd you leave? I was like, no, it's just a better opportunity, better contract. Oh my God, congratulations. You need anything, all this stuff. And this is just professional people. PR people, all this stuff. It's like, wow, that's cool. Because it shows you that you've developed these relationships. That these people are invested in your brand because you bring something to their brand. So no matter where you go, they they want to see you level up because you're only going to help them level up. The bigger audience you get, the bigger audience they get. So I, I often wondered, and people ask me all the time, and I never knew how to answer this, but... My pet peeve back in the day was they were like, oh, I was like, what do you write for? I'd be like, oh, Black Sports Online. They're like, okay, you're a blogger. I was like, no, I'm a journalist. It's my pet peeve. I always said that. I'm like, no, I'm a journalist. They're like, okay. And I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, but Black Sports Online is blog. I was like, you call it whatever you want. It's a site. But blogs don't cover live events. I was like, if you go to these things, you see who's credentialed. Do you call Yahoo Sports a blog? They have blog posts. Do you say the same thing about... You know, Bleach Report, who started off with more blog format. All of these things. And it's like, no, they're a site. Like, Black Sports Online is a website. We cover live events. There's plenty of blogs that can't get credential to anything. And I was like, that's because these brands understood from jump. And your face was on the marquee. This is before any BSO logo, anything else. They, they attached themselves to your brand, which was incredible. Because they said, you know what? This guy is going to represent us in the black community. So the people say whatever they want about you, but these brands are like, you know what? We need a voice in the black community. We will trust Robert Latal because your face is on the marquee. We will trust and, him to be our voice for the black community, which speaks volumes. And that was, you know, that's why sometimes it's a little bit disappointing when I get pushback, uh, you know, from black people because what a lot of and, and I don't I don't really hold it against them because hey maybe you just found out about BSO yesterday or a year ago or two years ago. Like, but it was ten years ago when you know the NFL says, Hey, we, we really don't like websites to be at the Super Bowl. When the when the NBA, you were not you were the first one at the NBA finals. Remember when they're like, ah, yeah. you gotta be careful about, you know, letting you guys ask questions because we normally don't let people in like this. All of those things, even you at the UFC, me at the boxing. Um, just, you know, SPs, all of these different type of things for us as black people at a black site, it was always one shot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and if and, and that's, you know, you started off today talking about that story about your hat at the UFC. They only was giving you one shot. That's the thing. Like they didn't want an explanation. They just wanted you gone because it's one shot. Like, and I had to, you know, subtly explain to them, Hey, this is not fair. You know, I've been to these other events. I know what these guys dress like. Just give them another shot. Because we don't, our our margin of error is very low. And one of the things I always want to do is that I don't have to go to every boxing event anymore, every UFC event, every NBA event anymore. Because now 
because of the things that we've done, not just me, but you you went to obviously hundreds of events while you were with BSO and others, is now they feel more comfortable doing it because of us giving other people opportunities. Well, when we did it for BSO, it worked out. When we let them be a beat reporter, it worked out. When we went to college football or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that set the trend, you know, for these other people, other sites that really they don't even realize that if it wasn't for us, they may not even be where they at. There's literally guys that I see at boxing events that I know specifically the credential people have asked me, are they okay, Rob? Are they all right? If they can they get in? And I don't even hold that against them. I don't even talk to them about it because I want them to think that, you know, I don't want them to think they got a handout or anything. I'm like, no, they're good. They'll be fine. They're professional and everything like that. That's how we're supposed to be as black people, especially in media. We're supposed to help each other and raise each other up. That doesn't always happen uh, that way, but that's the way that we're supposed to be. So when I see people like you and Erica, uh, Gerard and, and others that are, you know, find their own footing, you know, because of that, that's, that's the way it, you know, definitely supposed to be. Yeah. The platform, the platform is strong right now. Um, I always laugh when, you know, it's like, yo, I look at P1 BSO now and it's funny. I'm, I'm old. I'll go back for, you know, the, the little guest interview. I'll be like, yo, Rob, I'm at this event. I'm gonna write something mm-hmm. and I'll put it in the chat. I'll be like, yo, I don't know anyone here. Like I know Erica and Giandra and no one else in that chat. Uh, <laughs> but like, even then I look at everyone else and I'm like, wow. Like when I came in, I, I looked at, you know, like, I think it was Greg and you and all. And it was like the, mm. the opportunity was so big and you could do so much with the platform if you just did it the right way. And, you know, just go be professional, take your advice, write good quality content, um, shut your mouth. Don't complain about the little stuff. Like, listen, and that's what the four of the bros, you guys love that shit. Like everyone who clicked it loved it. Yeah. And it would get the most hate, but it was like, yo, it's driving so much traffic. Like you think we want to sit all day writing for the bros? You know how much work it takes to next page stuff? Like, and to go and find these half naked pictures of these women? No, like I don't want to chase down an Instagram, you know, dancer and figure out her life story or reach out for interviews. But those are some of the biggest stories we did. And it's like, you know what? It drives the numbers. It allows us to do the things we want to do. It allows us to go to places we want to do. I wanted to write editorials every day. But no, you guys read, like 500 people read those. And I was happy when I wrote them. But I could do that because the For the Bros had 20,000 clicks in a day. Like, it's redonkulous. So it's funny to see what can happen if you just trust the process. And then to watch the young kids now and, and some that do and some that don't on BSO. And I'm like, yo, you guys have no clue the opportunity that this site allows you. Because if you do it right, man, I thankfully, I, I've jumped people who have, like I said, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, who went to Syracuse. I, so many of my friends in the industry went to Syracuse School of Journalism. And we're friends. Like, we chill on some personal stuff. It's one of the best journalism schools in the nation. Like, and I'm on the level of them. Some of the people who have degrees, and you think of how many people graduate every year with a journalism degree or a communications degree and want to do these things. People searching for jobs just to get paid in the industry. And I'm thankful every day, and it's the platform that BSO allows you. No one has 100 events. It's crazy. And it's, it's an evolution. And, and that's always what I try to tell people is that you have to evolve in this industry. It doesn't stay the same. You can't 
keep doing the, the same things that you did. You know, like you said, it started off, you know, with twaddles, but then, you know, Instagram came, it was IG models, then it was thought to ride, you know, things, <laughs> things always change. And what I say, I always change with the times because I'm sensitive to stuff like that. You know, we don't necessarily do strictly for the bros, not as much anymore because I'm sensitive to the Me Too and all of that stuff. Uh, during the Obama years, which was, you know, kind of the, the time that we flourished, we didn't do a lot of social justice posts. Because, you know, it was kind of more under the radar back then. I mean, back, you know, from, you know, 2010, I say 2015, you know, you can probably count on the amount of hands, the literally the really racial. I mean, that was the Mike Brown stuff and there were things like that. But for the most part, you know, excuse the expression, we stuck to sports. We stuck to entertainment. We didn't dip into politics a lot. But then when life changes and, and the world changes, and you have this big outlet and you have to decide to yourself, what are you going to do with it? Are you just going to stick to putting IG models, um, you know, on there, you know, every day? Or you're going to still do that. But, you know, when you see police brutality, you see what the NFL is doing, you see players getting blackballed. Mm -hmm. Are you going to use that to your advantage? So if I can help out a racist, you know, that's not going to take me eight hours of my day. And then I can get back to talking about the Kardashians. I, the thing about about the industry and media and something that I had to learn is I've always liked to, to do everything. Like, I never was like, I want to be pigeonholed. And people say, Rob, why are you doing this? Well, I was doing this back in 2008. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I didn't really change. Just the way that I just got bigger. You know, we was, I remember we did a story on uh, Mayweather and Oscar De La Hoya. And, and De, remember the De La Hoya, um, the, the, cross, the cross-dressing pics? That's like a 10 year, we was doing that back then when nobody would touch stuff like that. Now that's like a, that's like a, a mid afternoon story, some weird stuff going on with an athlete or whatever. So it's about evolution. And like you say, you get older, you know, you were really young. I wasn't as old, you know, and I had a, I had a, different, <laughs> I had a different, I had a much different mind state uh, when I started, you know, when I started, my little girl was, you know, two years old, she's going to high school, uh, you know, uh, this in a couple of in next month. She's going to high school. So, of course, my view of life has changed. You know, I moved to L.A. Like, there's always evolution. You should always be moving forward, looking for the next thing, be it TV or radio or podcasting or whatever it may be or how you do your stories. But in the end, and, you know, I'll just I'll leave it with this. In the end, as I've always told you guys, I told you guys two things. You're journalists, first and foremost. If you want to be just a blogger or somebody just, you know, puts stories out, that'll never work with me. You got to see yourself as a journalist. And the second thing is, in the end, the stories are not for me or for you. They're for the people. Mm-hmm. I, do stories for the, 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 I do stories that the people aren't going to get anywhere else. I'm going to say them differently than what they can get anywhere else. And that's what makes us different. And that's the reason we're still around when probably 90% of the sites that started around the same time as us uh, or nowhere to be found. Yeah, that's crazy. The longevity, you know, speaks for itself. And that's that that's the key. Like the the product doesn't fall off. And it's it's you know amazing just to see and in my house right here next to my computer, I uh my fiance put up like the the curtain rod or whatever. It's like a fancy rod and she hangs all my credentials from it. So now it's across like the entire walking path 
up to my loft. So like you walk up the stairs, the credentials are all along the wall and we're running out of space again. But you go through it and it's like there's 300, probably got like 200 credentials up there, let alone the stuff they don't give us credentials for or some that I lost. So like that experience in a five year span, people just don't have like unless you're like a Kevin Ioli for Yahoo and you cover boxing and MMA, like in my realm. Or, you know, just some of the people who have been on the beat, specifically in MMA. But still, they haven't attended the biggest boxing matches. I saw some of the biggest MMA riders. Their first boxing match was McGregor versus Floyd. And they were lost to how that realm worked. I was like, no, I do this too. It was like me, Andreas, and maybe one other person who covers boxing and MMA together. Everything was so specialized. And, And to see, like, you know what? It's okay to do everything. Even, you know, the other people in the world, Andreas is, is a weird dude. And I guess that's why we click is because he has all these music credentials and writes for these sites and has 18 million jobs. Uh, he's Jamaican Dre right now. But uh, in that aspect, he's still one of the few that do a little bit of everything. And for me to have an opportunity to be a and cover the NBA finals, cover college football bowl games and, and with semifinals to national championships and all this craziness. And go through all these different realms and being so well-rounded is something other people never get the opportunity to do. They hope for their big break and get stuck in the lane and cover just MMA. MMA dry, dries up when Connor, you know, goes off in his tirades and Ronda goes. So many people lost jobs. I'm like, yo, you guys can't cover anything else? Like, it's you sad, it. but you're stuck in the lane. You got it. I, and, and I, sometimes it's a little hard for me and I push back and I tell people, listen, you got to, learn to do other stuff. The reason why is this industry is is, is shrinking. It's not expanding. It's, it's, it's shrinking. Um, because the the money is just not enough for everybody that wants to be in it. So you got to be able to have options to do other things. You know, you got to be able to, when you're bringing yourself to somebody for a potential employer, and say, hey, I've done X, Y, and Z. I can literally do everything. I can cover everything. I can write about everything. I can do video. I can do radio. I know how to talk. I, like, not, not that I forced you guys to do that. I'm like, hey, do video. Do YouTube. Do something. Because you, because the written, I knew a long time ago, was not going to be the thing that sustained people. That was not going to do it. I could see that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It was going to be personality uh, and live coverage and interviews and stuff like that and just being colorful with what you said. So you're right. It's it's so important. Cause I actually people, people right now ask me like, hey, should I start a blog? I'm like, no. I mean you can, but I would be if you're starting in the industry right now, the first thing I would say do is start a YouTube page and do videos every day, every other day about whatever you want to cover, whatever you want to talk about. Get an Instagram page. Do that. Have something to write on, you know, as well. Because your face and your voice and your social media following now is almost like that's your resume now. It's not like, oh, I worked, you know, I interned here, I did that. I mean, it's, can you show them that you're special? It doesn't, like, I never tell anybody, don't get your degree, because I think education and the, the going to college is a good experience, life experience, but you don't need it. Like, people that are getting jobs are not getting jobs because they went to, five, you know, four-year colleges. They're getting jobs because they got 100,000 followers and they're funny. <laughs> so, you know, it, 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 you got to you got to balance that out because that's what people are looking for. Now. Yeah, it's crazy. And you were ahead of the curve, as you often are. Um, all right. Let's talk about the last little bit of combat sports. Bring it back around. Um, yeah. 
pro wrestling is the only thing we didn't touch on. And it seems like so much is happening outside of just the the booking. And yes, we know all the BS that happens on the weekly in pro wrestling. But they're going through their own you know, set of circumstances and, and trying to change their industry on the WWE level. And we see the women are getting their own pay-per-view in October. And a lot of the narrative on Twitter is, oh, this is a response to women not being allowed at the Abu Dhabi show or Dubai, wherever they were. Um, the greatest Royal Rumble. Women couldn't participate. So this is, they're just giving women something so they can shut up or, you know, it's a, it's a Me Too response and all this stuff. Is there something wrong with championing the women, regardless if it came off of that or not? Because I feel like it's good to do this. I don't, I don't care why it happened. It's the fact that it's happening. Like, here's the thing. Um, when I look back maybe in the last, I don't know, three, four, five years, one of the matches that stands out, in, a couple of matches are the Sasha Banks and Bayley one from uh, NXT TakeOver. Uh, there was a Sasha Banks... A Charlotte match, I believe a cage match, uh, Amber Amber Moon uh, matches with uh, Asuka. Mm -hmm. Like these, these are like this is not gimmick stuff. These, I mean, my thing is, if you can wrestle, you can wrestle. Now, if you're good looking doing it, hey, that's not a big that, that helps. But the they have enough ladies. I mean, I, it, I, you know, some you know certain things with guys is like women reporters, like oh, get in the kitchen. You know, it's, it, they no matter what you do, they're gonna have pushback on it. But listen, the WWE has like 900 pay per views, or I guess they're not. I guess they're still pay per views, but whatever you want to call them, uh, because they're on the app now. Why not have one? Uh, you know, just for for the ladies to give them some actual time, so it's not 10 minutes or 15 minutes. I, I was I, I I thought round season and Mia Jax match uh, at extreme at extreme rules was. That was excellent. great. Yeah, that was yeah. that was you know, Jax's best match. Yeah, so so why not? I mean, I, I you know, the WWE and, and you and I have talked about this before, you know, once it really kind of became a monopoly, uh, they're very hit or miss with their storylines and stuff like that. But the one thing that normally saves them are the matches are good. Even if the build up is bad, even if the, the promos are terrible, once the people get in the ring, uh they, these guys are, and, and girls are, are very good at what they do. So I, I want to see Ember Moon. I want to see Asuka, Charlotte, and Bailey, and, and all of these people, and, and Ronda get in there and, and do their thing, get, like, the full time. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I bet you it's better than uh, some of the, the ones they put on before. Yeah, I mean, that's not hard with some of the quality of the pay-per-views <laughs> recently. But, no, I, I agree. Like, I feel like it's been so long since these women have had time to work these matches. Um, I mean, man, that, what was it? Probably a year ago now with Sasha versus Charlotte when they kept turning the belt over, back mm -hmm. and forth, back and forth. The Hell in a Cell match. They had a match on Raw that was incredible with Sasha winning. And just those the flip-flopping, people got upset that, you know, Sasha couldn't hold the belt for more than two weeks. But the, the match quality, and they were given time, and they made events in Raw and all of these things. Man, that was great. And it seems like now they just have the rosters are so stacked and bloated and they've kind of given time to things that don't need time, like Mojo Raleigh getting a spot on Raw every week, um, that there seems to be only like three women at a time can be showcased mm -hmm. on, on either show. And it's just like they don't have the time for the matches. They're, they're going back to the 
five-minute matches, the six-minute matches. And that's not what we need. So it's cool to have them have this showcase. Now, hopefully it's yearly, once a year, where you'd be like, okay, you know what? All the women on here still have a spotlight. There's It's a four-hour pay-per-view, which are painstakingly long. But we're going to get, you know, four, five, 20 to 30-minute matches for these women. So that's going to be great. Um, yeah, I'm not a complainer about why things happen. Like, <laughs> so what? So what? Yes, there is a Me Too movement. You know what? Good stuff happens because of the movement. That's the reason for a movement. And, right, and the, you got you to gotta do it to, to, you know, to move forward. I mean, so what you complaining about? Yeah, like, if the movement was just there and enacted no change, it'd be right. a shitty movement. Right. It's, it's like, no, it's good. Women are being appreciated. So I thought that was dope. Um, but we see Ronda Rousey specifically in the women's division. It seems like she's... You can't blame Ronda. Ronda's there to be a part of the team. And Vincent K. McMahon is still Vincent K. McMahon, and he's about that money. Hence, Brock Lesnar is still champion. Um, it seems as though the storylines and everything in the women's division is positioned for Ronda to succeed. Um, and by saying that, I mean, you look at Sasha and Bailey. They should have broken up a long time ago. That feud's been going on since pre-mania. It seems like it's the longest running meaningless feud ever. Guess what? They're not going to turn on each other until after Survivor Series. Why? The WWE signed Ronda Rousey's whole crew. They're in NXT right now. Shane is champion. The other two are working the house shows. They're going to do a four horsewoman versus four horsewoman match at Survivor Series. And you can't have Sasha and Bailey feuding during that. It would make no sense. So they have to be friends until the Survivor Series when they take on Ronda and her girls. Um, you look at Asuka. Asuka had to lose to Charlotte at Mania. Why? Charlotte has to look strong. Probably because Charlotte versus Ronda is going to be your main event at next year's WrestleMania. Unless these rumors of The Rock coming back are true. But I, I can definitely see women headlining WrestleMania and Rousey and Charlotte uh, being those two women. So, you know, Asuka had to end the streak. And now Asuka's kind of toiling. And then you have all of these things that are happening. Alexa Bliss wins the money in the bank just so she can cash in so Ronda doesn't have to lose. Yet, so many things are being handpicked and booked just for Ronda to succeed. Is this bad for the women's evolution? A movement they've been building for three, four years now. Um, starting in NXT, starting before that with Paige and the Bellas and the ditching of the Divas and all of this stuff. It, are they taking a step back by putting everything around Ronda Rousey? And no, and the reason why, like, and you know, I had my, uh, I had my doubts, uh, you know, about it, and I don't necessarily agree with all the booking because I never do. But the, the, really, the only thing that, in the, in my mind, with Rousey, that you know, that I wanted to see was that she really had the passion for what she was doing. Like, look, we still talk about Roman Reigns and stuff like that as far as scripts and promos and stuff like that, but you can never question the man's passion for what he's doing which is why I think some of it is, you know, can be tolerable, you know, at times. So I think with Rousey, she's putting in the work. She's not half-assing it. To my understanding, there's no, uh, you know, she's not politicking. She's not, you know, trying to alienate herself. She's not acting bigger than anybody else. I think everybody with common sense realize, hey, you know, she's the money. So that's how it's always going to roll in the WWE. But at least she's around. Uh, at least she's contributing. You know, it's not like Lesnar who really doesn't seem like he cares about the WWE and or wrestling at all. He cares about the check. <laughs> at and, all. You know, right. 
she act, you know, Rhonda, at least at this stage of her career, seems to have a real passion uh, for what she's doing. Um, now, frankly, I think, and this has nothing to do with Charlotte or Rhonda, I think that would be a fine WrestleMania uh, ender. Uh, anything is better than Lesnar and Reigns again, or Reigns and anybody again as the ending match. Uh, personally, I still would prefer uh, for it to be The Miz and my man Daniel Bryan. And I think like we're getting that at SummerSlam. Uh, well, you know, SummerSlam's coming up pretty quick, and they really haven't done anything, you know, towards You haven't even really seen The Miz uh, a, a lot. I think they're going to hold off. Yeah, I well, think. just until Tuesday. They just pulled the trigger two days ago. So, Did yeah, they, they, yeah uh, they, they sped through it, but they pulled the trigger. He came back on Tuesday with the fake baby. Daniel Bryan tried to attack him. Uh, he throws the fake baby at Daniel Bryan, and we get Daniel Bryan laying on the ground, Miz standing over. So yeah. it's a rush job. But Daniel Bryan's contract is over in September, so I guess maybe they have to rush it. It's not the greatest sign for Daniel Bryan resigning. Ah, man, I really think they should hold hold off. Oh, I wanted the Mania feud. I wanted it to be yeah. Miz as champion, Daniel Bryan winning Rumble, chasing Miz. Yeah, I just... I just, it's, it's, you know, with SummerSlam coming up, so it's just not the, you could build that so beautifully. The oh, rest of the three, the three month, four month build on that would be great. Yeah. They have so much history. Yeah, it reminds, like back in the day for the, the young people out there, is that everything wasn't shotgun booking back then. Like they used to build these matches, these dream matches, the Hogan's and the Ultimate Warriors and Andre the Giants and, and the Macho Man and Roddy Piper. They used to build these matches over, like six, seven months. Like they would have them at house shows and stuff, but you wouldn't get the big payoff, uh, you know, for a very long time. And I understand they have more TV and more hours to fill and more pay-per-views now, but they have an opportunity here. And they did such a great job because they could have rushed right into it, which was my fear. And they've been holding them back and stuff, but really, ah, SummerSlam, that's just rough. But to go back to your point, uh, you know, I, I think... Rousey is fine. Uh, I think she gave them a, uh, a kind of a boost of energy, but not actually a ratings bump. Uh, so while I think she's good for business and, and stuff like that, I, you know, they're still kind of stagnant, especially with Raw. And I really think that's just because it's three hours. And people in 2018 just simply do not have three hours of the day that they can sit still and watch a wrestling show. Well, oddly uh, enough, the past yeah. three months, the quarter two numbers came out today. Um the WWE seen a 52% spike in digital numbers. Digital, right. So YouTube, huge spike. IG, huge spike. Um, to the point where they have some people in feuds just cutting promos on YouTube now. Uh, you, if you look at um, Matt Hardy, he has a weekly YouTube series on WWE's YouTube where he gives his, like, uh, his word of the day and a lot of his promos and the, the Hardy compound stuff. That was on... YouTube exclusively and Rousey, the behind the scene training and all this stuff, bringing people in this huge spike digitally. So the numbers on television are dwindling, going down. I, I think the network buys were at 11%. When yeah. Rousey has her special, um, they filmed a WWE 24 on Rousey, like stuff like that. The, these behind the scenes specials, all these stars coming through and rolling through. You're going to see even bigger spike. So 10% on the network, Three years ago, two years ago, they were struggling to get a million buys. They're like, they have to get a million network buys to break even, or they're going to lose money on the network. Now the network is almost reaching two million. 
it's so funny because when they first did the network, people thought they were crazy. Yeah. Remember? But and then, remember, this is because you were giving away pay-per-views. Yeah. The people thought they were crazy. But this, you know, and, you know, there was stuff like Netflix and other things around. But all of these streaming service, they wasn't around when the WWE started their streaming service. And now people say that's crazy. Nobody's going to watch it on the stream. Nobody's going to watch it on the computer. Nobody's going to, you know, have a, you know, but then smart TVs and all the interconnection. And now who, who wants to stream? Everybody. ESPN putting big fights on the streaming service. The, 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 what is it, Dazzin, Dazzin? Yeah, you know, obviously, there's big stuff right there. Uh, obviously, you still got Net- Netflix is bigger than HBO now. You know, it, it, I mean, that's, you know, YouTube TV. They have so much streaming out there. In this case, a lot of times Vince is, uh, you know, still in the past. He was definitely ahead of his time with this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Booking wise, Vince might have lost his touch. Business wise, Vince is. Rolling in the dough, right? Yeah, securing the new TV deals for a product that's fledgling on television, um, and being able to keep what is your money maker, which it, which are the pay per views. Mm-hmm. Like I, a lot of people now are at the point where they'll go on Twitter or they'll wait until WWE releases their YouTube recap, watch five minutes instead of watching three hours of Raw. Or there's Twitter accounts that do the gifts of the entire thing. If I miss it, I watch it on that and wait for wait for Hulu the next day. That's not television views. I watch it on Hulu. So it's crazy to see the different ways. And still, Vince was able to cash out with the bag for a TV product that people just aren't flocking to anymore. And you know, I'm a big you know I'm a big wrestling fan. I can't do the, especially on the West Coast because then I see everybody talking about it on the East Coast. So, and it's 8 o'clock, you know, here. And I'm like, you know something? i wait for, what I do is I, I read the recaps. And like you said, all the recaps have little YouTube videos. I go to the finishes. And I feel like I know exactly what's going on. I don't need to see the random, you know, Mojo Raleigh stuff. or All of the, All I need is, you know, the stuff I want to see. So, I'm, I'm, it's, very, it's, I, it's, it's very understandable why the digital numbers are up. Because I think a lot of people are cutting the cord. And you can get what you need. You know, just on the internet and on YouTube. Yep, you don't need the the appointment viewing. I have to be home by eight o'clock to see what happens anymore. Twitter will walk you through the entire thing if you need it, and then the money makers, which I said, are the pay per views, and they still cut their own check for those. It's still on the network. They didn't have to give those up to anyone, um, which was the, the the major key of that deal. It's you guys going to pay me a lot more for a. TV product that is shrinking and I still get to build towards the pay-per-views that are on our network and 100% of the money comes to us. Vince fleeced them. It, it was a genius idea. If this was Vince's last raw, which I hope it is, because Triple H is doing a much better job at uh, booking shows. Um, if this is Vince's last raw business-wise, the man set them up to be the company for the next 100 years in pro wrestling. And he, he's a genius on the business end. Now, you know, in the ring, time might have passed him by. But, you know, we talk a lot of New Japan Pro Wrestling on the show, ROH, indie stuff. And a lot of people are fawning over the booking and the talent there and the match quality. But you know what? WWE has NXT. So Vince is like, you may hate me on the main roster. And we're going to get Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar again. But you guys can go on Saturday night and watch what the hell you want to watch. Yeah, so, absolutely. So he's yeah. smart in that regard. Um the WWE is doing quite well business sense. 
thank you for stopping through and talking the business aspect and just stories and sharing the little tidbits that only the mind of Robert Latow knows. Dropping wisdom on the podcast. I appreciate it. Ah, no problem, man. And like I said, you know, you keep doing what you're doing. Andre's man, he he's out there, you know, setting a great example uh, for, for young black journalists as well. Uh, I know your crew. Your crew's great. They do a lot of great things with wrestling and, and everything. And it's, it's one of those things. I, I honestly believe people like yourself and others have brought so many uh, minorities to the sport of boxing, to the sport of MMA, educating them on everything. And then that's a good thing. You know, everything can't be NBA and NFL, you know, all the time. So I'm really proud of you, proud of your podcast, proud of your, your TV, work for the TV station. I saw you on TV a couple of times. I'm like, hey, that's my man, Kev. I used to, you know, he used to work for me. And people are like, no, he's not. He's a star. He not even work But yeah, man, I, like I said, I'm really proud of you. And uh, thanks for, for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. Hope we helped some people out. All right. Oh, by the way, hold on. Before you get out of here, you got to tell people about your shows because you're everywhere now. I'm the star. You're everywhere besides Black Sports Online. Tell the people where to find it. Yeah, I do got a couple of shows. Obviously, uh, my podcast, which is also Simulcast, is a radio show, uh, BSO Live. Uh, try to get that up every day, if not at least you know a couple of times a week. Uh, the big news, obviously, is the TV show, Old School Sports, uh, TYT Sports Network. Uh, which is on YouTube TV every Friday, 2.30 uh, Pacific, 5.30 Eastern, 4.30 Central. Uh, we rebranded the, the Instagram page to BSO TV. Uh, so you get all your quick videos, all your viral videos, all your stuff, your long videos for IGTV. Uh, but every day, still, still to grind up early in the morning to get you the stories that you want to get on Black Sports Online, be it Thought to Raj, be it Social Conscious, be it Kim Kardashian, be it Kevin Durant and his burner accounts, whatever the story is that people are talking about, uh, we actually make sure we get that done. Hardest working man, right? Look at this. I got Andreas on one side, I got you on the other. No wonder I'm doing all right for myself. I'm, I'm trying to be like you, though, yo. Look at it. I've seen the crib. I see the ocean view. I'm, I'm trying to move up in the world. Yeah, the only, that was the thing. When I was young, like really young, and I remember I came to L.A. a long time ago, like, I don't know, maybe 2007 or something. Uh, and I came to L.A. and the first time I'd ever been to the beach, every, first time I ever saw the ocean. And I said to myself, I said, self, if I ever do well enough, all I want to do is move out, out here. I always felt like I was more of a West Coaster than a Midwest guy I'm from St. Louis, for those that don't know. It's like all I ever want to do is to know that I've made it and been successful is to move out to L.A., live out by the beach, be able to sit on uh, on my balcony or my deck and just look at the water. And, you know, 10, 12 years later, you know, here I am. So definitely blessed. And uh, don't let me get emotional because I always get emotional <laughs> when I think about that to see, you know, how things can change from being broke and cars getting repoed and getting kicked out of apartments to being able to look at the Pacific Ocean uh, every day. So you put in the work, you know, good things are going to happen. Listen, I'm trying to be like you. I got the loft. I got the strip view. And I look out every day and I'm like, Rob can see the ocean. I got more work to do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming through, man. It's appreciated. Make sure all you guys follow the show on social media at the corner LSN, all platforms, me at Kel Dansby. Oh man, Andres is traveling the world. But he'll be back next week with more stories. We'll break down more combat sports next week. Thank you guys for listening. We're out.